What's up, Browns fans? Welcome in to the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. This is your Thursday, August 25th episode. Hope you're having a great day. Hope this podcast finds you well. Reminder, before we get to a lot of the heart of this episode, things that went up at the OBR today. A lot of moving parts. Barry McBride's usual newswire, which, if you're into that sort of thing, is available for you every morning about 8 a.m., for your reading consumption that gives you a full idea of what's going on in the Browns universe. Check that out. Jack Duffin put up his 53-man roster and 16-man practice squad prediction. Also available, Corey Kennan, kind of getting the full view of the OBR staff, put up his 2023 weekly mock draft. A lot of names in there that are going to be fun to know come college football season, which is close. We had an analytics breakdown from Anthony Reinhardt, Demetric Felton, Josh Dobbs, preseason recap of Week 2. And then lastly, Fred Greetham talked about his time at camp today through the Greetham angle, Miles Garrett, his conversation with the media, Jordan Elliott breakout season. A lot of people are talking about it. We'll see if it comes to fruition. And then Jadevian Clowney missing a second day. A lot of little nuggets from practice there from Fred, including who was on the field, who was on the bikes, all of that sort of stuff. The only real piece of Brown's information that came out today is a sort of uh, hidden agenda. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. A, a conspicuous tweet from Josina Anderson about uh, watch out for the Cleveland Browns and Josh Rosen kind of thing. I mean, I'm not entirely sure what that is supposed to mean. It's a pretty strange tweet in general. Uh, it's a keep an eye on how things are going with Josh Rosen in Cleveland. I guess that could mean he's going to be cut. To me, he's been he's been pretty bad uh, through two preseason games. Uh, nothing to, to really change the perception of what he's been through his NFL career. So I'm not sure what she means by that. It seems to me that he's the practice squad guy. I could not imagine there's a universe where you watch the first two games and you see Josh Dobbs and Josh Rosen and figure that Rosen should be the guy who should be the backup to Brissett. So I don't really know what's going on there. Nonetheless, that is what we have from any piece of Brown's information other than the things that we put up at the OBR, which you should consume. Otherwise, let's get to today's episode. I think it's a good one. We have Doug LaMarie on, who's with Cleveland.com. Doug does a great job, really covers Ohio State, but through the years, him and I have gone back and forth on many things, um, you know, many things Browns. He's been involved up there some, but really is the heart of Ohio State coverage for Cleveland.com. So going to spend time talking with Doug about his three things he's paying attention to with the Browns offseason and then what's going to happen in the regular season. And then lastly, we're going to spend about 10 minutes talking Ohio State preview and some college football evolving landscape. So if you're not into that sort of thing, the last 10 minutes of this interview will not be for you, but I think it's a fun conversation on where college football is going and everything that Doug covers, and he has great perspective on it. So before we do get started, a quick reminder that the podcast audio from my end is not great. I'm having an issue getting my recording device to switch over to this microphone and not pick up my AirPods, so I'm sorry about that. You probably noticed this on a few recently, but through Zencaster, I'm having some issues. So not great on my end, but nonetheless, a good interview. Let's get there now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, every year, whether it's usually, I try to do it preseason, midseason, postseason. I try to catch up with Doug. Doug is uh, one of the. Uh, listen, I don't have to blow smoke for, for Doug here. I, I, I've laid this out several times, and I value your opinion, Doug, and I like your your topics of conversation with the Cleveland Browns. I know you're heavily invested in the Buckeyes right now, as you should be. It should be an exciting season. We'll touch on them a little bit at the end, but I want to get your three biggest kind of storylines, things that are catching your eye, what you're watching for as a Really weird season for the Browns is set to take place. First, I'll welcome you in. What's happening? How are you? I'm I'm doing great, Jake. Always great to be with you. I appreciate you uh, reaching out. And you know I love talking Browns with you, so it's good to be on. But yeah, well, I appreciate that. And I think these are always good for for perspectives and, and different conversations that maybe don't get talked about quite enough. So let's let's start with your three. We, we touched on these a little off air. And these are things that you are thinking uh, that need attention to pay attention to whether they're winning or losing, they're going to play a part. So you talk wide receivers. So give me your, I, I don't think it's a secret. I've talked to some, some, some different uh, about different angles I've seen out there that this is one of the lowest graded pass catching and I'll include tight end in there, but this is really about wide receiver. It's one of the lowest graded uh, or ranked groups of pass catchers in the league. So you know, there's a couple layers to this. There's did did they expect Watson to get six games and they thought his 10, 11 games would elevate these guys and make them respectable and they can address it later? Are they are they just being negligent, Doug? Are they are they being negligent? Or in your opinion, do, they, do you think they have enough here? And maybe we're just not respecting enough of what they have here because this wide receiver thing gets a lot of talking point time, I guess is the way to say it, it gets a lot of breath. And, and it's like, but I, I don't think it's, it's, it's out of the realm of possibility that this could somehow be worse than it was last year if Amari Cooper doesn't live up to what they need him to be. Yeah, I mean, and even if he's a pretty good number one, I think there's a lot of room for questions behind it. I would prefer DPJ as a three rather than a two. I know there are some people who are very enthused about him. Maybe he hits, right? Maybe he's ready to roll, and Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones are your top two pass catchers, get you there. I always in the past have not liked it when people covering the Browns do this because I feel like when you have an NFL draft, there's like six cycles of the same opinion. There's who you think the team you cover should draft. Then there's immediately after the draft that you do grade them high or low. And it's just based on what you thought they should have done based on who you liked. And then you get removed from that and you get a little taste and you think now you look back and say, oh, man, did they really blow it or not? But I feel almost like a, a personal affront about George Pickens, that George Pickens is in Steelers camp and like making highlight plays and the Browns could have taken him at 44 and traded out of there to leave him to 52 at the Steelers. 
and we're watching Anthony Schwartz again, I don't think look like a functional NFL receiver. And David Bell has battled injuries and Schwartz is all speed, no hands. And David Bell is a productive receiver, but maybe doesn't have all the physical traits. And it's like, what about, why not that guy who is a first round talent that was sitting there at 44 and the Browns (laughs) traded out of it. So that, you know, every team misses on draft picks. But I felt like wide receiver was such a need. I was all in on a first-round receiver. Then they trade for Watson. I'm all in on a second-round receiver. They trade out of that pick. There's a lot on David Bell, man, because I think Anthony Schwartz is a miss. I, I think he's a miss. Surprise me. But I don't think there's a lot of reason to have faith in that. So now you're putting a lot on Bell. And, yeah, he was productive. But, you know, there's a lot of guys with, with better skill sets, I think. And they just stared it in the face in the second round and said, eh, we're good. And I think it could be a problem. I think they could have like middle, like they had a fast guy in Schwartz and they had a productive guy in Bell, but I don't, you know, George Pickens, I think is everything. And so I don't want to beat that to death. I don't, I don't want to belabor the George Pickens point, but I'm going to do it for at least a little bit longer. So um, I, I am very curious how the unit comes together because Deshaun Watson magically lifts that room. Maybe will be true in December, but it's not going to be true for the first eleven games. Yeah, and to me, what's what's fascinating is like when you start to study this group. It's like I think everybody is saying there's just not enough here. So then you start to question what what are we missing that that Andrew Barry and, and the collective group of talent evaluators with the Browns are are seeing that we are not seeing. So there's like and and again, I, I try not to to think that that talent evaluators are flawless in, in what they do or or like you guys get important jobs who can't do this. But I think we all generally think there are some pretty smart minds in Cleveland. Uh, it, it, like we respect Andrew Barry and, and it's it's not a it's not a, a wrong guy, wrong job uh, sort of situation. So I I, I don't know. I, I really am struggling to come up with how they think this is enough considering they don't have three tight ends that you should really trust. Right. So maybe they're thinking of living in 12 and, 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 and really uh, trusting Njoku and Bryant. But I don't know how you can look at the, the four, uh, again, with Amari Cooper's injury history on top of, as you mentioned, David Bell, who doesn't have a flawless injury history situation. And you start to say, boy, this could get really ugly really quick. And I just don't understand why they think that's the best, especially not that you're going to, and I've said this before, not that you're going to lift up, your room right now, you're not going to change the ceiling of it, but you can raise the basement. You can get yeah. a little better. And there's time. They could go sign T.Y. Hilton. They could go sign somebody else uh, that's out there. They could trade for Slayton or somebody else. But I'm not saying they're finished. This isn't September 10th and they play the next day. But I just have found this wide receiver situation interesting. And the only thing that can can justify this in my mind at the time of the decision-making was, well, we have this quarterback we think is going to elevate a lot of things. And that I can get behind, but you're losing him for 11 games. So you're kind of stretching what you want to be as competitive and help this guy, Jacoby Brissett, out. But how do you really help him with some of these weapons? That's that's what I think if we look back and they didn't find enough success this year, you got a point there offensively first and foremost, which is a little bit of a concern, Doug, I would say, because at the end of last year, we were all talking about it. We were talking about it constantly. This is the thing they got to do. They got to do. They got to right. do. And they did get Amari, and that's nice, but he's 29, 28, 29. I'm not sure if he's turned 29 quite yet. It's, it's, a, it's a stop gap, and, and you start to say, is this guy even a one? So um, I think wide receiver is is one one of the 
most important things to, to pay attention to. And I continue to ask myself, what am I seeing differently than what they are? Because I, like you, don't see a very functional receiver in Schwartz. I, I, I just, I don't know. I see some, some, some gaps there. Um, JOK is next. Like his leap yeah. is next. What, what are you, what are you paying most attention to? Uh, are you expecting him to take it? Do you think there's still holes in his game? Uh, what, what do you, what do you like, dislike, concerned about or excited about? I mean, I just think to have a playmaker at that level of the defense, uh, like what does that do for this defense? What does that do for this defense when, you know, he's on the same side of the field as Miles Garrett and Miles Garrett's getting double teamed and, and JOK is, is running around in space and making tackles. Like what that, you know, you feel really good about the corners, you know, you, you feel like John Johnson, the third in the second year here, it's, it's going to fit better. You got Clowney back. But when you think about um, sort of special athletes who can make plays in space, like it's really interesting to me, like how much of a problem can he be for opposing offenses, right? That, that like, I think he's like a key to, is this defense very good or is this defense dangerous? And I'm really curious, just like how he's deployed, what kind of things they ask him to do, the confidence that he has himself, you know, in his second year in the league. And, you know, we know, for instance, what a great athlete Miles Garrett is, and now he's such an experienced football player and how that all comes together. Like, it's like, JOK is a great athlete. Like, what's it going to look like when it all really comes together? You know, the upside for this defense, I think, is fascinating. And I think, you know, I, I think he's maybe the key that takes it from great or very good to potentially special. I, I'd be curious to say, like, where like, is that too much? Is that putting too much on a second year linebacker? Or is that the kind of thing that he could be an elevator? It's definitely going to change so much about how they use personnel, right? Because if you can keep, if he's an every down player for you uh, and, and is constantly on the football field, and he's the one probably making some of your 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 uh, green dot communication things come together. So then you can play. I think that again, smart people, Bill Barnwell, ESPN, some others that I really respect the opinion of, who study the league collectively more than I do, have the Browns as having. And I think Robert Mays did too with the Athletic. The Browns is the best collective secondary in the league from uh-huh. from depth top to bottom. So okay. How do we get all of those SOBs on the field at the same time? We have to have somebody who can play the run, who's done it before, can handle this gap to this gap, can run sideline to sideline. If you have that guy in JOK who can play your sort of Mike Dime look and you can get seven defensive backs on the field, six defensive backs on the field, that changes things, right? Like that changes things in your effectiveness and your ability to create chaotic coverages, which I believe today – I cannot remember who said it. It might have been John Johnson, but they said that the, the, the Joe Woods has expanded some of his approach to uh-huh. a third down disguise and personnel usage. And if and if JOK, that guy that you don't have to worry about plucking him off the field, you can keep him on, take an Anthony Walker, or Jacob Phillips off the field because you can get a better pass coverage defender on the field. And we all know they've had relative decent success by having a higher volume of DBs on the field against even Baltimore, just because you can cover more ground. It does, it changes, it changes everything. And I think to your greater point, he can, he can do it. I mean, he's what we 
discussed last offseason. He is the player that I think we thought he could be. It's a matter of health for him. He lost, what, four games last year with that Arizona injury at an ankle roll, I think. Um, if he can stay healthy, uh, then there's no reason why he shouldn't be in that grouping of, of top linebackers in the league, in my opinion, top five to seven, even could creep higher than that because of some of the just the speed at which he plays the game. And to your point, I think the defense does become something they have not been capable of being if he gets there. And you look back at it and you're like, well, they won six games of the 11 early because they played ugly. They won defensive right. battles and, and and we created turnovers. They they created a bunch of chaos and it was it's largely going to be um, something that he, he can help with. So I, I like that talking point too. The last one's Stefanski, which you and I could spend a, a lot of time on this because I'm still fascinated. I, Doug, I'm on record, man. I don't care. Old takes exposed can come after me. I think he's far and away the best coach they've had since the return. The situation that he arrived in, the situation that he then had in year two, and now this even more chaotic situation in year three. And again, he could play a part in this situation in year three. He he he's he is a part of it. He's he's a part of the group that, that decided to to trade for Watson. But his first year, he's trying to reshape an entire offense. His quarterback gets the most out of him. The second year all goes sideways. You know, I, I, I just think that there are some tweets, some folks in Cleveland who I respect, who have, who have raised questions of his, I think Albert Breer, uh, who is an SI uh, coverage angle is, it was said that there could be some pressure on him. I just, I have to ask you because I think you've covered the, the tumultuous staffs who have been here before Kevin so well, and maybe my, my vision of this or, or perspective, I should say, Doug is different because I just, it's so rare for Cleveland to have three straight years of almost zero turnover ever, anywhere, like anywhere. And I think he brings a lot of stability, but the situations with the roster have been so chaotic. Uh, and, and like, I don't, some people are trying to put him on the proverbial hot seat. And I'm like, can we just give this guy like eight years? Can he just get a really good run at it, get some stability in terms of who's in the important positions for a while? and give it a go for, for a while without questioning whether he's on the hot seat. So my question to you is, do you think he will be on the hot seat? Do you think that there should be pressure on him because he was a part of the decision to bring Watson in? And like, where do you stand on Kevin collectively? Am I too high on him? No, I, I, I definitely don't think it's hot seat. That that I don't think is is how I would characterize it. It's tough because – in Cleveland, you look and you're like, well, you know, he's better than Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens. And it's like, okay, well, that matters, right? I mean, you can't take anything for granted here. The Browns have had a lot of unsuccessful head coaches. But, like, that's not the only threshold. So I want to know if he's as good as Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh, which I think exactly. is when you have two, uh, two guys in the division who have established culture, who are leaders in the locker room, who – put their players in position to win on the offensive defense. We know what Tomlin and Harbaugh do. I want that for Cleveland. So do we have that? Now, I do think people he, – he hasn't had a normal year yet. He had a COVID year. He had Baker Hurts' shoulder and Odell is angry year, and now he has a Deshaun Watson year. So you've got – to your point, he has to have a normal year. Give the guy a normal year first. But the thing – I, I, if people are saying hot seat, I think that's wrong. But I think if people are saying like, oh, this is the guy. Oh, I trust in Kevin. I think that's wrong too. I don't think we know enough. I don't think he handled last year great. And I think Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham are probably maybe too difficult guys to handle, but didn't go so well. And he, you know, on the list of people that you, I don't know if blames the right word, whatever word you want to use, who are responsible for Deshaun Watson being here, I certainly don't have Kevin Stefanski very high on that list when you talk compared to Dean and Jimmy Haslam and, and Andrew Barry. 
Yeah. So I'm not blaming it, but he's got to handle it. He's got to handle it while Watson's out. He's got to get Watson ready for when he's back. You know, he, and I just like this, the smooth Kevin, nice and calm, calm waters is a great contrast to Hugh and Freddie. But I just want a little more than that. And then I want to see what it's like when they're doing more than throwing six yard passes to the tight end. So I want to see how he gets David and Joku involved when they give Njoku this money. I want to see what he does when his number one receiver is Amari Cooper instead of Odell Beckham. And mostly I want to see what he does when he's designing an offense where he doesn't have to try to take advantage of, of sort of the specific things that Baker Mayfield can do. I think he might be good, but I'm not sure of it. So I'm making no assumptions that Kevin Stefanski is going to kill it this year. I think maybe he won't. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't at all think about getting rid of him because it's a weird year again. You've got to see what he does with 17 games of Deshaun Watson with a normal offseason, all those things. He hasn't had that yet. But I think it's a completely open question, and I am super curious to see how he handles both off-field and on-field play calling. Completely fair. Completely fair. And um, I'll admit, I, again, I admit, I'm higher on him than some, and I think you keep, you keep it at a bit more – uh, I think I think where most people are, uh, I've just uh, sort of convinced myself through through. I, I think it's his approach to coaching is a similar approach that I've had and, and I've always wanted to see a head coach of an organization have. But there are times where you'd like to see him spice up some of the things he says, hold guys a bit more publicly accountable. Right. There are times like you said, you'd like to see a bit more fire here and there, uh, a bit more um, determination to, to to get a guy the football and different things that I think you can, you can say, or like, you know, for example is I've been hard on him about why Austin Hooper is getting targets last year and David and Joku wasn't, it doesn't totally make sense to me. It just, just in terms of getting good football players, the football, uh, it doesn't totally make sense. So there are some things I'd like to see him fix. I like you hope he does get another year at minimum. Two years is kind of my thing uh, after this year. Cause this year is going to be, it's just going to be utter chaos and it's going to bring about knee jerk reactions from everybody. And you have to hope that the guy pulling the decision-making cards doesn't have that same knee-jerk reaction. But in Cleveland, we never know. So yeah. uh, nothing is out of the question. Um, listen, that's our Browns topics. We nailed it. We're going to switch over to Buckeyes. Uh, real quick, we're going to take a break here, a word from our sponsors, and then we will jump back in with Doug. Be right back. Okay, so got, got to say, if you're still listening to this pod, you, you, you like Ohio State. There's some Browns fans who can't stand the Buckeyes and they won't really care about this thing. But I got two questions. First is going to be, it's not a question, it's more of a request. Give me your Ohio State preview in like a three-minute form, what you think of this team. Uh, you know, there's obvious guys, Jackson and CJ and, uh, you know, uh, Henderson and all. There's all these obvious names to watch. But like, what, what do you really think they are? Is the defense, what Knowles is bringing, is it good enough to turn this thing from really good to special is what I'm getting at. Yeah, should be the best offense in the country, which is basically what it was last year. Uh, I think both CJ Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba are Heisman Trophy contenders. I'm predicting a 2,000-yard receiving season for Jackson Smith and Jigba, which has only been done once in the history of college, major college football. Offensive line will be good. Trevion Henderson as a sophomore running back, you know, ran for 12.50 as a true freshman. He'll be better. All the pieces in place offensively, they've got to run it a little bit better when defenses know they're going to run it. Defensively, a lot of talk. Since Jim Knowles was hired, $2 million a year defensive coordinator, got him from Oklahoma State, where they were a top-five defense a year ago. I don't think Ohio State has to be a top-five defense. They just got to be, like, top 20 around that. They can't lose games because defense doesn't have to win games, but they can't lose games. A lot of the same guys back, but I think there are some young defenders who are ready to make leaps because last year 
partially a scheme issue, but also partly a talent issue. They had a bit of a talent dip. But JT Tumaloao and Jack Sawyer as sophomore five-star defensive ends look like the real deal. When Ohio State has a great pass rush from the edge, their defense is usually pretty good. You can't ask them to be Chase Young, but I think they'll be better than Ohio State's been with the pass rush the last couple of years. Corners are young, not very deep, but they think the talent is there. The safeties are healthy. It's a safety-driven defense. And they're talking all about the size, disguising coverages, you know, not giving uh, a quarterback a clear picture, you know, changing pre-snap, post-snap. A lot of the stuff they didn't do last year. Everybody's talking about some more advanced defense, and Jim Knowles wants to keep offensive coordinators and quarterbacks guessing. I think the offense will be great. I do think the defense will be good enough. Their schedule's pretty tough, and I think if they don't make the playoff, everybody will be really, really surprised because it was sort of a very specific thing that tripped them up last year, mostly an an inability to stop the run, and they went out and hired a guy. They've never had an assistant coach like this. They've never had an assistant coach make this much, and they've never had an assistant coach, I think, be this empowered. Ryan Day is calling Jim Knowles the head coach of the defense. Um. They ponied up like it better work, but I think it'll at least work enough that I do think Ohio State's a playoff team. Just like Stefanski, this is kind of add on while you were answering that question, I had this thought too. I've seen some things about like, you know, top top ten college football coaches and Ryan Day is in that group. And I think Ryan Day is great. I I, re- I really like Ryan Day. I like a lot about him as a person, like a lot of the things he stands for. I like his football mind. I like his football leadership abilities but he is kind of like kevin in the fact of like we think he's good but he's kind of got to prove it is he still in that mold for you or do you are you all in are you bought in on ryan day as an elite guy right now i think maybe unlike kevin i don't think there's any question about the offensive acumen and the play calling i think that's Mm -hmm. settled he did inherit an urban meyer program that was in really good shape and inherited a lot of good urban meyer players like lead the program Get the defense in shape. Hire the right people. I think there are reasonable questions, and and it's just different in college. The thing that is hanging over this entire season is the loss to Michigan. Ryan Day has no Ohio ties, which I always say, if you limit your head coach candidate coaching pool, the candidate pool of head coaches at Ohio State to people from Ohio, you're going to lose because you can't do that. You've got to get the best guy. But in three years, he's one and one against Michigan. They they missed a game because of COVID, and now they lost. So. There is a lot, I don't know, there's a lot of, I guess pressure is the word, on this Ohio State-Michigan game this year. And guess what? Like, Michigan's pretty good. Michigan was really good last year. I don't think they'll be as good. No one thinks they'll be as good. But they're still pretty good. And it's on the verge of being a must-win game for Ryan Day. Because, you know, Woody Hayes started 1-2 and against Michigan. But that's not what the fan base is used to now. So it's a very weird situation. Where Ohio State could be eleven and zero, number one or number two in the polls, but be going into that Michigan game knowing like it's kind of all on this. So, you know, some bad John a, Cooper memories coming up for I mean, some folks. I just did a whole podcast on our Buckeye Talk podcast about all of this, and that's the kind of thing that fans were saying they're bringing up John Cooper. Now, yeah. one of the other points is in twenty nineteen, Ryan Day's first year, they lose to Clemson in the playoff, and they have Clemson revenge on their mind the entire year. And they get back to the playoff in 2020. They get Clemson again in a semifinal. And they blow the doors off Clemson. So we have evidence of what happens when a Ryan Day team is seeking revenge all year against a great opponent. They get to where they need to get to and they win. I do think that matters. 
as you approach this Michigan game. But it's Michigan, and it's it's the great thing about this rivalry, but it's the very difficult thing. There are still a lot of people that think, I don't care what happens the other 11 games. All I care about is the Michigan game. And, you know, you can't beat your rival every year. But one loss to Michigan is a loss. Two straight losses is a trend. And Ryan Day doesn't want to find out what that would feel like with this fan base. No, it wouldn't. And it would be a... <laughs> Especially the the what is it the probably the copious amounts of success that they have had against Michigan, it's um it's very Ohio State to to fear, oh my gosh one and two in a three year span it's like it's kind of fun it just speaks to the level of expectations and pressure to your point um two two things left okay I'm sorry I'm adding on here folks don't get mad at me um one Ohio State football player name who people do not know much about haven't heard of him. Maybe uh, don't know, uh, you know, he hasn't been on the scene or maybe he hasn't just been underrated who people are going to know by the end of the year, whether he breaks out and puts up huge numbers or you think he's going to be a big time draft prospect. Okay. I'll give you one on each side of the ball. Yeah. On the, this is why. On, yep. on the defensive side of the ball, I'll give you a, a Cleveland guy mm-hmm. who's a defensive tackle named Mike Hall, who's a second year player, did not play much Street last girl. year. They're going to rotate at defensive tackle. They always do but I think he has a chance to emerge in that rotation. Um, Kind of a quick twitch defensive tackle guy, which they don't always have there. Um, Jonathan Hankins was a guy like more than a decade ago that sort of was a different kind of defensive tackle for Ohio State. The SEC has guys like this all the time, gigantic guys who are huge athletes. Tyleek Williams is a guy, but and, and Mike Williams, Mike Hall, they're both sophomores at defensive tackle. Tyleek played last year, is getting some hype. Mike Hall barely played and is a little more under the radar. I think he has a chance to make an impact. And on the offensive side, I, this guy's not under the radar by his name at all, but Marvin Harrison Jr., son of the Hall of Famer, had three touchdown catches in the Rose Bowls, should almost certainly be their second-leading receiver behind Jackson Smith and Jigba. A bigger receiver? A little different than a lot of the other sort of bodies in that wide receiver room. Um, studious, gets after it, knows the game, got right down to work when he got here, and in year two has a chance to really, really pop. Like if there's room for another receiver to pop behind Jackson Smith and Jigba the way Smith and Jigba popped behind Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave last year, MHJ is the guy to watch. So how many yards is he? If you're calling 2,000 for Jackson – how many yards is left for Marvin? I mean, yeah, I mean, I've got, yeah. I've got CJ throwing for fifty six. So even Woo. though two, even though two thousands going to Jackson, like there's room for like maybe twelve hundred for Marvin. <laughs> so um, that's awesome. Yeah, I just you know they they're gonna have four receivers they're gonna play, but I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is a guy that has everybody like he's like six four, just like different than a lot of the other Ohio State receivers like. He'll be playing, I think, mostly that X receiver spot that Chris Olave played last year. Again, different. Different type of body, different type of style than Chris Olave, but could be like really productive in his way. Yeah, I heard. I think I saw that Marvin Harrison was on Feldman's uh, freaks list too. So that yeah, no, nothing should surprise in terms of uh, where he could be by the end of the year. It's just a cycle at that position. So I want to close with this, Doug. The, the changing landscape, real quick. Like to me, listen, Oklahoma, Texas go to the SEC, and while that's different, it's not. It it's not mind-blowing regionally changing right because there's teams down there in the southeastern conference who are close to oklahoma and texas not too far away we know texas a&m went over i think texas a&m going to the sec was a bigger like whoa for me than those two it's not that big a deal but 
you know, connecting the coasts like this, I feel like it just it just changed everything with the UCLA USC to the Big Ten. Where is this going? Big picture, where is this going? Are we really headed to super conferences in the next five years? Are we headed to a situation where, and I say this all the time, Doug, Ohio State plays like four games that matter all year, four games that really matter. Now a Purdue and Iowa, the trap game happens, blah, blah, blah. But four games for the most part that really matter. Two really big, usually there's sometimes one in the pre-conference, usually one or two in the big conference. And then you got your bowl game. You might get an additional playoff to, to national championship, four to five. Are we running into this situation soon, which I'm not totally against. Some of the purists might be against, but where Ohio State plays Clemson, then they go to Notre Dame, then they go to, you know, UCLA, then they play, you know, like, like where they play an NFL 12 game schedule where eight of those, nine of those are against really good teams. And it's just a slaughter fest. I'm not sure that's the worst thing for college football. I've said this before, like Ohio State, you, you, think about how fun that is for fans. Like when, when Ohio State plays Notre Dame, they open with Notre Dame. People have made plans for years about what they're going to do for that game. Like having all these big games would be interesting, cool. You'd have like, you know, a team going seven and three, making seven and whatever, nine and three, making the playoffs. Like it, it just, it would be a different frame of mind. But I'm, I'm just curious, like with the changing landscape of NIL, transfer portal, those are one thing, but it seems like it's working toward a, the players have to be paid sort of thing. And it just seems like it's working toward bigger conferences, teams that are in the powerful group of college football universities coming to some sort of agreement and all playing each other in little landscapes. And it's going to look a little bit like the NFL. Am I crazy or is it not going quite as far as I'm talking about here? It's a lot there, Jake. <laughs> I'll try to cover this in two minutes. Okay. I I once thought, like even a year ago, that we maybe were heading toward like a super conference, a top tier, 30, 35 teams of a top tier. I really do think it's going to be two conferences. It's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten. It's going to be basically the South and then everybody else. And I do think they're going to get to 20, 22, 24 teams in each of those. And I think in the end, you'll think about them kind of like you think about the AFC and the NFC. Maybe there's room for a third conference to exist and still have partial access to an expanded playoff. But I think more or less, you're going to have the SEC and the Big Ten who kind of, you know, have their own versions of the playoffs and then have their champs meet in sort of like a Super Bowl. So I think it will become the NFL like that. But I do think they don't – I don't think they want to play because they're going to play – you expand the playoff, you're playing more games. I don't think they want to play 10 headbangers a year. I think Ohio State still wants to have games against Northwestern and Rutgers and Indiana, and Alabama still wants to have games against Vanderbilt and Mississippi State, and you work in the Citadel and the non-conference because they're going to end up paying the players, but they're going to hold off for as long as they can. And I just think um, it's the TV deals that are going to form us into two groups. It's going to be the SEC and ESPN. It's going to be Fox and the Big Ten. The Big Ten is going to be coast-to-coast. I think they'll add Notre Dame eventually. They'll add Oregon and Washington and teams like that. Maybe the SEC winds up adding Clemson and Miami and some teams like that. It just becomes very clear. But And then teams like Northwestern and Illinois and Rutgers and Indiana just get down on their knees and thank the football gods that they wound up in this conference where they're going to make a boatload of money because Ohio State and Michigan don't want to play 12 games a year against other Ohio States and Michigan. So, and then I do think it's going to be two conferences, I think, Jake, but we're going to have to just redefine what conferences mean. Cause you have 24 teams in your conference and you're still only playing 12 regular season games. It's like, what does that even mean? Well, yeah. there's going to be like two divisions in your conference. And now your division 
is going to be like what your conference once was. So sure. USC and UCLA are going to be in the same conference as Ohio State, but that doesn't mean Ohio State is going to play USC and UCLA every year. But it does mean when you get to the Big Ten version of the playoff, USC is in Ohio State's way, right? So they will probably play a lot in, inside a playoff structure, but the conferences are going to be so gigantic. In the end, I think the conferences are basically just a loose collection of TV properties. And that's what a conference means. And then like your division within the conference tells you like who you play. So we're going to have to just change our thinking of how we view college football. In the end, I think the regular season won't be all that different than what it is right now. I think the playoff will be pretty substantially different. But what's really going to change is like the TV packages and how much money they make, right? Which really in the end, actually fans sometimes are more interested in that than I expect. But on Saturdays, I actually think in the end, your Ohio State football Saturday 10 years from now will not be all that different. It'll just be called different things within the structure. Yeah, I think that does a favor to folks who are the nostalgic types who love the regional conferences and and the things they grew up watching. Um, I think that that can serve them, but it can also serve the greater good of a better overall product in a better overall end of season environment. So I, I'm, I like that the way you explained it. Uh, I, I like it and I hope it goes in that direction. Listen, we covered a ton of stuff here. We gave your Buckeye preview. We covered where college football is going. We solved it. I mean, Doug solved it in a matter of three minutes. So that's where we're going. Take it to the bank and uh, you know, don't come back and find us if it goes in a different direction, but I, I would like it if it goes in that direction. Doug, I appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for taking time for us. Always fun, Jake. Thanks for having me on. All right, so I recognize not the best audio I've ever had for a podcast, but when it gets going and Doug's having a little bit of issue on the audio on his side and my side doesn't pick up the right microphone, I'm not going to just cancel 35 minutes of conversation. So I hope you still enjoyed it. Hope you got a lot out of it. And uh, again, sorry, low-budget podcast efforts here. Sometimes the audio is not going to be perfect, uh, but but I did want to make note of it and try to be better and got to figure that out as I use that that podcast platform. But anyway... Um, thanks to Doug for showing up and doing that show and giving us great insight on not only his thoughts on the Browns, but, but certainly Ohio State, which he knows so well and where college football is going. I thought some of those answers from him were fascinating about how this could change over the next five, 10 years. So, um, yeah, thanks for joining today's show, checking it out. A reminder that we have a playback uh, effort again coming up Saturday, 7 o'clock. Put in your TV provider. Go to playback.theobr.com. Uh, like I said, link that TV provider, unlock it. You can hang out, watch the game with us, interact, come up on stage, all that fun stuff. So make sure you do that. Another reminder, if you would like the, the playback replay sent to your email, just email me, I shouldn't say email me, DM me your email or email me at jake at the com, uh, and I will put you on the list to receive that and the chalk talk session. I'm going to start sending those out from Tuesday's episode as well because we're going to kind of put everything on a Wednesday send over. You'll get a Google uh, Google folder in, the, in Google Drive to, to, to jump in and check out. So, yeah, that's a part of things too. So check out work at the OBR. Thanks for supporting the podcast, Twitch, well, YouTube as well now, and this podcast. Uh, guys, have a great Thursday. We'll be back tomorrow with John Colosimo. Can't wait to check in then. Appreciate you guys so much. Have a great Thursday. Go Browns.